Genesis chapter 3 this morning. We're going through this book on Sunday mornings and we're currently studying the consequences of the first sin of mankind. We have seen already how the serpent has been brought low by being cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. The serpent's posture is now one of defeat. It goes upon its belly. Dust shall it eat all the days of its life. And this was not only a physical curse upon the serpent, but this is also emblematic of how Satan is. He is a defeated foe for those in Christ. Amen. We've seen how God placed enmity between Satan and the woman. Because God was going to use the woman to bring the promised seed, the Messiah, the Christ, into the world, a 4,000 year trail of blood ensued between Satan and the seed of the woman. Thank God He came. Amen. Just as God said. Satan was able to bruise the heel of Christ. Christ crushes the head of Satan. Last week we considered God's curse upon the woman, which is why the church was half empty. (laughs) Childbirth is now extremely painful, so they tell me. There are many complications which can arise. There is now sorrow in raising children. And ladies, as I said last week, you have nothing to prove to any man. You have the market on pain. God said so. And then we saw the second half of the woman's curse. Her desire would be toward her husband and he shall rule over thee. We saw in chapter 2 how male headship was already in place before sin. But now, after sin, it would be irksome. Where before, it was a natural outflow of sinless perfection. We took note of Genesis 4-7 where the same verbiage is found. And I believe the interpretation is that there will be a power struggle within the home. Her desire will be to rule, but he is to be the ruler in the home. Now, this isn't enmity like God did between Satan and the woman. But there will, be difficult, there will be difficulties when husband and wife refuse to structure their home as God has designed it to be. When there is an unbalance in the home, we talked about there will be either feminism or chauvinism taking over and maybe a mix of both. Either she will dominate or he will run roughshod over her if we don't keep things within the boundaries of God's Word. And remember that Genesis 3.16 is the problem, but Ephesians 5 is the answer. There are going to be difficulties. The Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in 1 Corinthians 7.28, If you marry, you haven't sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. Now, if wives will learn to reverence and submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord... And if husbands will learn to love their wife as Christ loved the church, marital harmony can be realized in the home. 
And if you'll decide to go against the cultural norms of our day and go with God's Word, you will be blessed. Amen! People come have problems. You know what your problem is? You don't want to do what the Bible says. You don't know what kind of man I live with. Thank God I don't. You don't know what kind of woman I live with. Thank God I don't. But none of you women can live with me. I promise you that. You do it because God said to do it. You don't do it because they deserve it. And you don't do it because you're hoping the formula is going to work out where it all magically works. Anyway, I feel like preaching there for some reason, but let's, let's get into today's message. So today we turn our attention to God's curse upon the man. And we're going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19 again this week. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. As God begins to lay out His curse upon Adam, He first gives him the reason for this, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. To hearken means you give attention, and then you follow through with obedience. And if you doubt the validity of the pre-fall structure of male headship in the home, consider this phrase that God is using right here. God is clear that Adam took a wrong turn when he hearkened to his wife. Now, this doesn't mean you're forbidden to hearken to your wife when she asks you to take out the trash. Lighten up, okay? These are heavy sermons. If she has a honey-do list which she wants to see done, you don't get to say to your wife, the pastor said... I don't ever have to hearken to you. You take out the trash, woman. That's not what we're talking about. But remember, this was spiritual in nature. She was wanting to be like gods. And she brought her husband along and he hearkened to her in an area where he should have been leading. Remember in verse 12, Adam attempted to shift the blame for his sin upon his wife and God By saying, the woman whom thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. But God here isn't agreeing with anybody's excuses. Just as Satan could not force Eve to eat, so Eve could not force Adam to eat. What we do 
we do willingly. And we have no one to blame for our sins but ourselves. Remember from an earlier message that what God wants from us is an admittance of sin. Paul wrote, the law was given that every mouth may be stopped and that the world may be guilty before God. Because until you stop with the excuses and you admit your sinfulness to God, you can't be saved. You can't be born again. So God reminds Adam that, Adam, you're the one that stepped out of God's established hierarchy for the leadership in the home. Adam was to lead, but in their sin, he was being led. But even worse, he was being led away from God. He was being led into rebellion against God, which we know he did willingly. He was obeying her over obeying God. I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. We've had a lot of families come and go. Just in the time that I've been pastor in six years. And in nearly every case, maybe all, it's been a situation where a wife was domineering and leading the home. I'm not saying we're the perfect church. By the way, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. As Oliver Green used to say, if you happen to find one, stay out of it, you'll ruin it. Now, after God gives the reason for His curse upon the man, we read, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall I bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Now, before we delve into this curse upon the man, let's pause for just a minute and let's notice that there's a curse upon creation. Creation has been affected by the fall. The ground is now under a curse. Where there were no weeds before the fall to invade the ground, now there are weeds and they come forth, thistles, and it's year after year, it's a continual battle, it's a constant reminder of sin. And we learn from Romans 8.22 that the whole creation is suffering. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. Why are there droughts? Why are there Floods and pestilences and climatic extremes and hurricanes and tornadoes, animal attacks, poisonous plants and all the rest that plagues this earth. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Now some of those things I listed you might attribute to the great flood and that's fine, we'll see that when we get there. But even that was a result of sin. All of creation is under a curse. We hear all this talk about climate change, which is a bunch of malarkey. Don't get me started. I was a meteorologist for 21 years. I'd love to have the debate with you. But isn't it interesting that the same scientists who talk about climate change as being a direct result of our energy choices are the same ones who say we've had past ice ages and periods of warming. That's interesting because there were no fossil fuels in use back then. I wasn't rolling around in an SUV. There were no coal plants. And yet they tell us, the, oh, the earth has seen past climate changes. Yeah, no duh. That's what climate does. Yeah. 
And now the government's desires to shove you into an electric vehicle for the sake of the planet. But they don't talk about, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> but they don't talk about how in almost every situation fossil fuels, fuels are being used to make the thing and operate it. My point is, there's all this talk about the environment, but they don't want to have the conversation on why it's this way. You see, we can talk about the environment, we can talk about how we're to worship this thing, and, and, and we're to do this, and we're to do that if we want to save the planet as if we somehow control that. But what they don't want to talk about is the fact that here in Genesis 3, sin entered the world and God put a curse upon creation. See, we don't want to talk about God because when we talk about God, now we've got to start bringing sin into the picture and that means I've got to do something. Now, listen. Write this down, big letters, put it on the church sign outside. I'm not against anybody who drives an electric car. I wouldn't mind to drive one. I just can't afford the thing. Saw a guy the other day, bought a used one down in Florida. Come to find out the battery went out like a week later. It cost him $11,000 to replace the battery. All I'm saying is, and listen, I'm, I'm for being good stewards. I am. Um, I mean, I'm not hugging trees, but I kind of like them. But the argument is being skewed. They mentioned that this car has zero emissions, but it, it takes emissions to charge it. Where do you think it's coming from when you plug it in? Something on the other end is producing electricity. All right, I'm just having too much fun with this. I can tell um, we are off track. And, and so here's another point here. All this talk about the environment. but Nobody wants to mention the greatest ecological disaster ever is right here. Because we have to admit the Bible's true. Well, that, that just opens up a whole host of problems. Instead of recognizing God and sin, let's just blame the oil companies and capitalism. Anyway, God, He curses the ground, and in this we find God's divine irony. In chapter 1, God gave every herb uh, bearing seed, every tree for food. There was only one tree God said you're forbidden to eat from. But because they weren't content with what God had provided them, God now curses the ground from which they took from to sin against Him. Do you see how God operates? It's similar to the ten plagues that God sent against Egypt. It can be shown how all ten plagues were because it's something they worshipped. It's just the way God rolls. And so they wanted to worship the Nile River. Fine, I'll turn your river to blood. You want to have a fertility God represented by a frog? Here's so many frogs, it's going to stink when they're dead. You're going to pile them up. Adam and Eve rebelled against God by taking of the fruit of the ground, and so now the fruit of the ground is cursed as a part of man's punishment, and the ground is now essentially rebelling against them. And perhaps the curse on the ground below is to turn our attention upward to find our satisfaction in God alone. Because you cannot find eternal happiness, eternal joy and peace upon this earth. It is only through God. We also see that in sorrow, man would now eat of the ground all the days of his life. And in the sweat of his face, he will now eat bread. And this is telling us that work will now be painful and toilsome. Childbearing is now difficult. Marriage will have its challenges. And now careers are going to be difficult. In other words, 
life will be difficult. Aren't you glad you came this morning? What a challenging and uplifting sermon. And we need, to under, we need to understand this. This is what sin will do to our lives. You see, sin isn't just a spiritual thing, but it impacts our life physically. It manifests itself out. Those who went to Silver State, you may remember the picture that Dean Herring showed of him and his brother. Remember how much older his brother looked than him because sin had taken a toll upon his life. You could see it. it. It was right there. It made sense as you're looking at it going, yeah, I can see that sin ravages the body. And it's going to get all of us. So sin is manifested in the physical realm. Now it's important to highlight here that work in of itself is not the curse. Remember that before the fall in chapter 2, God placed the man in the garden to dress and to keep it. In other words, to work. So even before sin, there was to be, there was to be productivity. At no point before the fall or after the fall did God ever determine a man could be lazy or slothful. Look, we need to hear these messages today. And for those who would be tempted to be workaholics, for the 1% of you, (laughs) Jeff Russ, God told us you need to take one day of rest. God put a check and balance in there. We're meant to work six days and rest one, guys. This was always true from the beginning. You say, what about women? Man, if they're, they're working all the time, as far as I can tell, looking at my wife. Before the fall, work was not sorrowful. Can you imagine a world where work is pleasant, enjoyable, but now after sin and the curse, work has become very laborious. There's thorns, there's thistles, there's sweat. Even in a do-nothing job like pastoring, I'm sitting in the garage studying this week, sweating. I was like, and what was I studying? The curse. Good one, God. Check, I got it. It's painful. How many of you men understand you'll work a job you like, but it's also a job you don't like? Men don't like their job, so they assume a change will fix the problem, but in time, the new job becomes sorrowful. Why? It's part of the curse. And under this curse, man has painful work just to be able to survive. Man would now have to eke out a living by the strength of his back and the sweat of his face. Now, for sure, we're blessed to live in an economic situation where we kind of lose sight of this. We may not fully understand the curse in our American economy right now. Many of us don't have calluses on our hands making a living. But there are still large portions of this world where they are very much in a hand-to-mouth existence. In America, we go to the store and we just assume the shelves are going to be stocked. We're so spoiled. What happened during COVID? Look, I thought people were going to get shot over toilet paper. We don't know what to do. The shelf isn't stocked. Ah! We just assume it's going to be there. We assume the crops have come up. We assume the calves are out there in the field, but 
In many places they are laboring very hard with no guarantee of a harvest. And if you happen to be in a white-collar job, I'm sure you can still identify with how this curse is upon the man. It is real. Because no matter your employment, it's going to be in labor and in sorrow. And what we need to understand from this curse from God is if you want to survive, you're supposed to work. You're supposed to labor. Do you want to provide for the family that she labored to bring into this world? Then you need to labor. And we can recognize in our own genetic makeup that God has called men to be the one exerting physical strength as a day laborer. I mean, look at us. We're ugly, hairy, utilitarian. (laughs) Women are like a beautiful work of art. And men are just a piece of work. (laughs) Women are like sports cars and... Men are just four-by-fours. Back when four-by-fours weren't so fancied up, okay? Generally speaking, I know there's exceptions. Don't come and tell me your wife can beat you up. Generally speaking, men have broader shoulders than women. A more dense bone structure. Men typically have 30 to 40% more muscle mass than women. Men have a 50% greater lung capacity than women, and the list goes on and on. Why in the world would we ever think it's right for a guy to compete against women? Okay, that's another issue. But my point is, men are designed by God to labor physically day in and day out. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. The Bible's clear. Now listen, the Bible doesn't address every exception. But the Bible is clear, such as disabilities, things like that. But the Bible is clear that a man, if he's to eat, he's to work. But what the United States is being sold today is the doctrine of socialism. Socialism doesn't say you eat from the sweat of your own brow, but you get to eat from the sweat of somebody else's brow. And the youth in America are being told, if this, party can't, if this party's candidate wins, we're going to erase your student debt. Wow, what a deal. I mean, if a candidate said, I'll erase your mortgage, I might have to... Mm. And so socialism, it seems attractive. Because it promises you a life free from the curse. You can eat by somebody else's labor. But we have no example where socialism has ever worked in the long run. Ever. Understand that socialism is rebellion against what God has said. And really, socialism is a form of oppression. Because if I eat because you work, you have essentially become my slave. And in higher academia throughout our nation... Our youth are being swept into this because they don't understand the Bible, the curse, and our Creator. According to Pew surveys in 2010, only 29% of Americans had a positive reaction to the word socialism. But as of 2019, just nine years later, 42% of Americans have developed positive views about socialism. 
it may make sense in the classroom and it may look noble on paper, but there's no examples where full-on socialism has ever worked for the betterment of a society anywhere. I say full-on socialism because in many ways we're already practicing it. And a lot of nations have some some form of socialism and it may look like it's working, but you may not understand what has happened behind the scenes. Let me give you an example. Brother Jones and I went down to Costa Rica and we were on a bus tour where the lady was talking about how great her country was because they have socialized medicine now. But she said this, we had to get rid of the military in order to pay for it. Yeah, good trade. So who do they call? United States. Okay. Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 79 to 90, was a lady with more gumption than most men. And she fought relentlessly for her country to get away from socialism, turn the tide, and she rightly said, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. And another problem with socialism is that it's a step towards communism. Because eventually people go, I'm tired of paying your bills. And so some Marxist dictator shows up with weaponry and says, you're going to do this because I told you. I don't have time to get into this, but listen, you find me a country where socialism is is in full on and you tell me how the gospel is going forward. It's not going forward with great power. May the Lord help us to understand where our nation is at at this period in history. Back to the curse here in our text. Man, you're supposed to work. See, I don't like to work. I know. That's the curse. Men are to be the heavy lifters in the home. We find the Proverbs 31 wife working. And so I see nothing wrong with a woman working when it's necessary. But it should never come at the expense of your children or your marriage. And to our unmarried ladies here that are desiring a husband one day, you need to find a man that has a work ethic. I told Sydney over and over again, you need a man that will work and thank God Grant does. Ladies, don't marry a lazy bum. But he's so good at Xbox. You pray for a man who will work by the sweat of his brow and that he will labor to provide for you and your family. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth 
and thy want as an armed man. And all I'm saying this morning, young ladies, don't marry a slacker. Don't marry some basement dweller in, your, in their parents' home. Now, if he's one of the few that's really good at Madden and he's making money off of it, we can talk. Okay. Don't marry a man who can't seem to hold down a steady job. If you do, then according to the Bible, you'll have unjustified poverty, and in the time of harvest, you'll have nothing. So men, don't be lazy. God has placed the burden of work squarely upon us. If she works, fine. But that's not her primary responsibility when all is said and done. It's enough for a woman just to be a homemaker. You may recall last week I mentioned the woman's curse of having her husband rule over her is really for her protection because in her desire for greater spirituality, she needs the logical mind of a man to filter it through. And I want to tell you that this curse upon the man is really for our own good. It's for our benefit. Because it's been rightly said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And men need to be gainfully employed because when a man doesn't work, he gets into trouble. When a man doesn't do what God's called him to do, then the man will become vulnerable to temptation, depression, lack of fulfillment, and no satisfaction in life. But when he works steadily, he finds a sense of purpose because many men don't know how to show their love. Ladies, they show their love by providing. I put a roof over your head. I, of course I love you. Okay. That was for all the men that can't open up with their emotions to their wives. It's okay if you look at your wife and say, I love you. When a man works steadily, he finds a sense of purpose. Now, what we are experiencing today in our society is a bucking against the curse. We see it all over television, on the commercials. What do we find? The man staying home, the woman running off to work. That's not how God designed it. I know this goes against everything today, but show me from the Bible where I'm wrong. Now, i got to wrap this up. The last part of this curse, God says, the ground, well, first God says the ground is cursed. Work will be laborious and painful. For how long? Till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. God warned before the fall, don't eat of this forbidden tree or you'll die. Satan said, you won't surely die. Now God says, you are going to die. Genesis 5 contains the only lineage where it says, and he died again and again. It says it eight times as a reminder that the curse is now in effect. And if the Lord tarries, listen to me now. The Lord, if you haven't agreed with anything, that's fine, but get this. You need to get this last point. If the Lord tarries, you're going to die. Hebrews 9.27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Romans 5.12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death is passed upon all men, and that all have sinned. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Now, I'm not being heartless, but when, when someone dies, people are shocked. Well, I can't believe that happened to them. Why not? It's part of the curse. The fact is, all of us here today are terminal. All of us are dying right now. The process of returning to the dirt has already started taking place. We are decaying. 
And if you doubt that, go home and look at your high school yearbook. But even though this is a reality, believers don't have to live this woe-is-me life of defeat because in Christ we have something far better awaiting us. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, in this body we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Do you realize this morning that true Christianity, or or true Christians I should say, are the only ones who can live with optimism in a world that is plagued by sin? Corrupted so-called Christian teachings teach annihilation. For the unredeemed, you just cease to be. The best that Eastern religions have come up with is you die, and guess what? You get to come back and die again. How long? Until you finally are no more. Wow, thank you. Other religions are teaching you a works-based system where you have no assurance of your standing before God. Evolution teaches death. Death is. It just is. That's the natural process of life. No wonder our young people just want out. But in Christ, we have assurance of salvation because Christ paid it all. All we have to do is believe and receive His free gift of salvation. And in so doing, we have a better place prepared where there is no death. Revelation 21.4 And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. What is that describing? The curse. For the former things are passed away. Revelation 22.3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. A true Christian doesn't have to fear death because Jesus removes the fear of death and the curse of death. What a blessing to know Christ personally. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We are confident, and I say rather willing, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So what we've learned in the curse is life is going to be difficult. It's going to hurt to bring children into this world. There's going to be some marriage pains. There's going to be work pains. Creation is groaning. You work to survive and then you die. Is that really all there is to it? Let me ask you in closing, are you living with the fear of death this morning? Are you fearful of where you will end up when you draw your last breath? The Bible is clear, there's, there's only two choices. If you reject Christ, you go to hell. If you accept Christ, you go to heaven. God has made it clear. But the choice is yours. And if you're without Christ this morning, you should be fearful. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The good news is, Christ took the wrath you deserved. He took our place. He bore our sins upon the cross. And now you can have all your sins washed away in the blood of Christ. 
You can be forgiven through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And you can know this morning exactly where you'll be when you draw your last breath. I know. I know that I know. You say, how? How can I have this? Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All you have to do is believe in Christ, finish work, and then rest in it. If you're fearful of dying, please let us show you from the Bible how you can know Christ and be saved. Let's pray.